Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. This is supposed to be our horror movie episode, but as anyone who follows us on Instagram, which should be all of you, may have realized at this point, but the month of April has been one fucking wild ride for the Strange and Beautiful Book Club household. So to say that the schedule has broken down would feel like an understatement. Well, in addition, yes, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about this when we did the podcast for the scheduled horror movie. Yes. The scheduled horror movie that we were planning to watch. <laughs> Every time I think about watching it, I just feel really uncomfortable. Because it's that kind of movie. It is an existential horror movie. Yes. For children. For children. Um, if you're wondering what movie that is that we're talking about, it's The Brave Little Toaster. Which, as I discovered when we were going to watch it, is not streaming anywhere. And there's a reason it's not streaming anywhere. And that's because it is trauma therapy inducing. It is literally horrifying. It is literally horrifying. And I was reading in the, I was reading up on it. And apparently one of the directors was like, guys, these two scenes need to be taken out. They are horrible. And they are like psychologically damaging to children. And they were like, we hear what you're saying. But have you considered just leaving them in? And that's the clown scene where the toaster is dreaming about the clown sticking forks in it. Okay. And the one where they go to the like scrap, the scrap shop and all oh, of yeah. those appliances. And the, we actually oh see an appliance get murdered in silhouette. in silhouette. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to do the brave little toaster and it's going to be a good episode. I know it is. But it didn't happen this week. And I really feel like going another week without a movie episode is unfair. So what we're going to do is give you guys a preview of what our drunk Patreon episodes are like. And to do that, we're going to get drunk and talk about Dungeons and Dragons. The movie. The new movie that's out in theaters right now. This will be the <clears throat> most recent movie. Yeah. That we've discussed on the podcast. Yeah, this is going to set several records. And if we end up talking about drunk Gilgamesh, if we end up drunk debating Gilgamesh again, we're quitting podcasting. I'm just saying. Uh, no, I need to quit my regular job so we can double <laughs> down on podcasting. I'll just have a podcast, call it Gilgamesh, and we'll just discuss the portrayal of human sexuality in the Gilgamesh story. How about just all metaphorical symbolism just in general in general hey we could do that it's our pod we do what we want yeah. all right so all right, to start on. this I'm off i'm gonna take off my hoodie okay i'm gonna vamble matt takes his hoodie off no i'm not i'm just kidding the hoodie has been removed because it's toasty in here it's toasty we got to figure out the air conditioning situation all right so for those of you one of you who has enjoyed a drunk podcast before, a drunk for Strange and Beautiful Book Club podcast before. First, we're going to start with, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club.
The next thing we do is a shot. Which I really should post a picture of our shot glasses because they are really more like double shots. <laughs> here, just set it down here. I'll take a picture on my... All right, the, um, the photo is happening for the shots Instagram glamour, Shotstagram. glamour shot. Thank you. Matt, what are you enjoying in your shot glass tonight? Uh, this is a aged dark rum. Mm. Mine is Bailey's Irish Cream with aged dark rum. So we'll just ching ching because I can't reach you. My hair. Thank you, honey. All right, here we go. You ready? <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Yum. Oh, hang on. <coughs> <laughs> Woo. Oh, I feel ready to talk about everything now. <laughs> oh my God, that clears the sinuses. Hang on. There was like a mid-shot swallow that had to happen. Now I need to reevaluate all my life choices. Just like a minute, please. Ooh. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, the movie, which we actually went and saw in theaters. Hey. Like people. Date night. Like people do. Like humans do. <laughs> uh, it's a totally normal human pair bonding activity. Yes, it was a total. Yes, exactly. The pair bonding activity. <laughs> All right. I was looking at the um, IMDb so we could get like at least half the characters names correct for the first half of the podcast. Anyway. Should I write them on the whiteboard? Yeah. No, don't do that. Immediate hot take. Go. What? <laughs> You're bad at hot takes. You, you didn't. I said immediate hot take. Go. What do you think? Good what do movie? we think about this movie? Great movie. We laughed yeah. out loud in the theater. It was a good thing we were the only ones there. <laughs> this was a D&D based story. Yes. In movie form that was created for people who play D&D by people who have at least heard people talk about how people yeah. actually play D&D. But it didn't feel like fan service. But it was not fan service. Yes. Yeah. This was so good. Because Ready Player One really is a gaming movie. I mean, it's a movie about people who like gaming for people who game. Yeah. But it felt so fan service-y. You the felt book, like you were getting pandered to the entire time. The book time. had a good story and a ton of nerdy fan service. Yeah. When they turned, it, when they turned Ready Player One into a movie... They took all the fan servicey stuff out and chopped up the plot to fill in the remaining bits. And so the movie, while entertaining at a superficial level, really didn't hit the main plot points of the book very well, yeah, in this, my opinion. The director of this movie does very not have very short a, review. Does not have a ton of like big name credits. He directed an episode of Yo Gabba Gabba. Our favorite, favorite kids, kids show. show. Any kids show that can also go to Moog Fest is like win top to bottom. DJ Lance Rock, if you're listening. We love we you. We love you. love you. And we our, miss you. Our children love you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So this starred Chris Pine, and he's the titular character. He's Edgin. And he's more or less our main character. We have a party. I mean yeah. the main main party. He's the I guess the point of view character. He's the bard. He's, he's the, the bard. spokesperson of the party. So he's our storyteller. He's the one that's guiding the viewer through the movie, which fits 
What other character would you have do that? You have right? to have a bard. We have a bard. We have a barbarian. I would argue that Holga is a barbarian. She's played by Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Fabulously yes. played by Ma- Michelle Rodriguez. Rodriguez. I'm sorry. Right. And- <laughs> shots already hitting. Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Yes. She did a very good feminine, strong fighter. Yeah. Feminine, but not pretty feminine. It was good what they did. She was our feminine character, and we get a very, I would classify it as almost asexual, but like a friendship relationship between her and Edgen. Uh- as we get through the movie and kind of interact with, as we see her interact with a wide variety of people, I would say she's not so much asexual as... She is not. No, no their relationship oh. is. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, Edgar and Holga. They are hetero life mates. Yeah, they're heterosexual life mates. Absolutely, because she has a husband that she left her tribe for. Right. Who is a halfling. She has a taste. Yeah. And it is not Edgen. Right. But they make a really good team. So she tags along with him. Yeah, and it works because they end up raising the child together. Right. Because Kira is Edgen's daughter. Platonically. Yeah, and... Um, Chris Pine is, a, or Edgen is a member of the Harpers, which if anybody's played the Tyranny of Dragons campaign, the Harpers are part of that. And he, um, ends up crossing a red wizard and it gets his family killed. Well, it gets his wife killed. He stole the treasure. Of a red wizard. And it leads him wizard. right to his family, which we don't find out till way later. Right. But effectively he had given a vow of service without being paid. And the not being paid part got pretty hard because it's kind of hard to support your family when you don't get paid. Right. And he's a bard. So I don't know. It's, it was, it was good. It was all very, everybody's motivations were believable. Um, And it was, there were parts of it that were pretty hysterically funny. Yes. And uh, like, there's a part where they face a dragon and we get this lead. They're on this huge mountain of bones. There's a cave. You hear the roar. You see the dragon eyes. And you're like, oh, shit, we're going to face a dragon. And the dragon's head comes out. And then the rest of the dragon comes out. He has to smash his way out of this cave wall. And it's a fat dragon. A like a morbidly dra- obese dragon. A chunky dragon. And it's so... It even rolls over it's because so- its legs are so short compared to its belly. <laughs> we laughed so hard. I think anybody who has been in one of those campaigns where you are there for the fun of the game and for the fun of being social and not for the the challenge of min-maxing. If you're one of those players- right, you're not min-maxing. You're not trying to optimize yeah. how quickly your character can kill off a room full of goblins or something. Yeah. You're there for the just fun making up story as you go. Yeah, this movie was that's what for it you. is. It's collaborative storytelling. Yes. Everybody gets yes. to play their part. This movie was written for you. I mean, yes. like one of our favorite Dungeons and Dragons podcasts is Authors and Dragons, who, by the way, just followed us on Instagram. So. Hey, <laughs> oh, I mean, they have like, but you know what? I'm still excited because we've listened to them for. I guess they're on the seventh year of their campaign, so that yeah. long. Yeah. <laughs> um. And it's funny, and it is for the love of the game. 
Right. Not for the love of. They don't do anything uh, kind of motivated towards the end goal of finishing a story arc or acquiring no, some magic item or leveling up the character. character. Yeah. All of them just play their characters as yeah. their characters, especially Robert Bevan. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> we want to have a conversation with you. We have so many questions. <laughs> and it's really fun to listen to because you no have one's metagaming. When, no one's metagaming. You there's no expectation when you're listening to it about what what's actually going to happen. So when when you're listening to it you have no idea what's going to happen because they play None. it by the dice rolls. Yeah. And they plan their actions based on their character. And it's amazing. And that's what this movie is. No strategy. Right. Whatever. Yeah. We also get Regé Jean Page, which I probably said incorrectly, and I'm going to 100% blame on the Baileys. But he's the guy who played the love interest in Bridgerton. Oh, okay. The Paladin. He plays Zenk. And he plays... the Paladin. Zenk the Paladin. And it is the best Paladin. He does an amazing job playing like a straight lawful good paladin yeah doesn't even understand like cultural idioms because that's beneath his notice and there's a part where he's walking away and he's walking straight uh, uh, the um edgen is talking about how how like straight laced this guy is he just plays it by the book he goes in a straight line towards his goals no deviations whatever and then He's not even going to go around that rock, is he? And so, so we have this nice scene on the beach where they're all just watching him walk away. Like, is he going to go around the rock? I don't know. I don't know. Is he? Oh, my God. No, he didn't go around the rock. He walked over top of the rock. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> and we also get Justice Smith, who was a character in the Detective Pikachu movie. He plays the the boy. The main character. Oh, yes. Yeah, who okay. travels with Detective Pikachu. And he is our incompetent sorcerer who isn't as incompetent as he thinks he is. And I love, love that we incorporated the idea that he needs spell components. Yes. yes. I love that device on his belt. Yes. To dispense spell components. Right, because we're actually doing spells that are in the rule book. Right. All of these spells are found somewhere. There's a little you creative can tell, license. Yes, but. they took some creative license with a couple of the spells, but it was on point. Yeah, and we've included that some spells have hand movement, some have vocal, because he's trying to cast a spell and somebody just covers uh, his mouth. It's called somatic okay, components. Well, he covers his mouth and he can't cast the spell. And he also has a bunch of artifacts, which at times feel a little bit convenient, but... Who cares? This is very, you know what, if you've been in a campaign and you suddenly have The that, most interesting stories are the least plausible stories. Right, well. And those are the ones we tell. He gets an artifact that is very specific and ends up being the most useful artifact ever 
in the entire movie. And everybody's had this. You're in a corner. There's no way out. And your DM is like, well, have you looked in your bag? Everybody roll an intelligence check. <laughs> and just to get you out of the corner, because, you know, what? if you're there for the fun of the game, a total party kill doesn't help anybody. And so right. they end up with this, not low powered, but kind of one note artifact that we end up using in some pretty fun and creative ways, which is the best part of D&D is when you, as a character, do something wild and unexpected with an artifact or a spell that makes your DM go, okay, hang on. I need to look a few things up. Like, <laughs> like I, I did something like this in our most recent game because we have a group we've been playing this campaign with for yeah. almost as long as Dun uh, Authors and Dragons. Yeah. And we're on a ship. There's like this giant ass shark swimming around it, around the ship. I'm the druid. So I used control water and I threw the shark up onto the deck of the ship because now it's it's in rough terrain, basically. Yeah. It can't move around very well on on the deck of a ship, and it worked out really well. To But <laughs> everybody was like, you fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can confirm. Now it's on the ship in biting range of everybody. Yeah, but it's, an, it's a water creature. <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah, but it's not in the water. It probably counts as prone. It should be noted that Matt plays as a fairy named Bez Flutterpop. <laughs> That's not relevant right so now. So he's honey. only a foot tall anyway. A foot and a half. <laughs> and can fit through keyholes like um, in the in Legend. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where that comes from. Yeah. But it's the it's the fairy turns Una. into like a little ball of light yeah. and can fit through tight spaces. Yeah, like in Legend. We also get Sophia Lillis, who I always remember from I Am Not Okay With This. She's the main actress. And oh, she plays is that what she's from? Yeah, and she plays Doric the Tiefling. Oh! Yeah. She's a tiefling, and it's really well done. I absolutely did not recognize her. Yeah, well, I mean, she's got a different hairstyle. And, yeah. Um, but she's... A druid, and the way we use wild shape is a little out of yeah. Not, but you know what? This is one it's of the cool. rules they stretched. It's but cool. It's it fine. works. It's great. I they love it. Stretched the rules for the purpose of improving the storytelling, which is always up to the discretion of the dungeon master. Yeah. And if that's not what a director is, then I don't know what the director is supposed to be doing. It's good. It makes the story better. I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'm fine with absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and we also get Hugh Grant. I love the Aww. I love how Hugh Grant has rebranded himself without yes. actually changing the way he acts at all. It reminds me a lot of Jeff Goldblum. A little bit. Yeah, the bumbling. Um, Hugh Grant used to be the bubbling love bumbling love interest, and now he is the bumbling villain, like comic character. So yeah, a little Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's good in this. He's our villain. He's believable. He's great. You love him and hate him all at the same time. Yes, which he is pulls it off. Perfect. Like exactly it. what we want because otherwise the villain's pretty black and white. The actual villain. Yes. The yeah. the behind the scenes 
big evil bad guy or it's usually big bad evil guy, but I don't think that follows the like proper English adjective order. Anyway. That rum hitting, huh? <laughs> I'm I'm rum rambling. You're rum rambling. Yeah, the big bad evil guy is extremely black and white evil character. Yep. Which whatever. I don't know. Yeah, and the big bad is actually played by a woman, and it is Daisy Head. And the other thing that she has been in, which I don't think you watched with me, is Shadow and... Yeah, that's the one where I read the first book, and I don't know if I was in a mood or something, but there were so many made-up words that I closed the book on my Kindle and returned the library borrow on Libby and... <laughs> to be fair, yes. ...moved on to a different book. Yeah. Uh, but I've read up a little bit more on the whole series and it seems interesting. I think I watched most of the first episode of the TV show. It was good. You know what? I really enjoyed it. And you know, my standards are all over the place. Um, But in this case, it was I put it back on my list again. I'll probably take another try at reading it. We also get surprise Bradley Cooper. Yes, this was... (laughs) That was You're a like, nice oh, okay. surprise cameo. All right. He plays um, Olga's halfling ex-husband. Yes. Who ex-husband. has found himself another barbarian to fall in love with. Yes. Because they get captured. We actually start with them in prison, mm-hmm. which is one of the funnier scenes. Um, we've been, well, I don't know how spoiler free we want to be, but um, he ends up telling the first part of the story as a story. And then we cut, to, we get back to, okay, now we're caught up. Here we are right. in modern yeah, time. Yeah, he's in his parole hearing. Yeah. And he's telling the backstory. Right. And they end up escaping from prison, even though they Which had just been- Which is a been, totally barred thing to do. Yes. Even though they had just been pardoned. They could have just left. Right. Yeah. They ended up <laughs> illegally escaping right after the guy stamped their papers to- Pardon them. To pardon them, to let them so leave. So good. I mean- they shot themselves in the foot and they just ran with it. This is my favorite way of playing D and D is prioritizing your character decisions over game decisions, and I feel like they really captured that essence of the way you play the game. Yeah, those people that are not in it for well, the rules say if I combine this feat with this artifact with this weapon, I can do this amount of damage at level two. The people that are like, I'm sorry, I'm the stoner elf dude who's <laughs> who has been like living and cultivating mushrooms for the last 45 years. And hey, anybody want to see my bag full of mushrooms? Like that uh, is exactly how they play it. Has a a second game that they started playing. Um, salty bastards. I, salty bastards. Yeah. And one of the characters is a guy, a paladin named Cal Hashwood. <laughs> <laughs> That draws his power from being high. See, you hear it and you're immediately like, fuck, I would play the shit out of that game. That would be so much fun because cooperative storytelling is the point of D&D. If you play it like you play a JRPG. It's yes and. Fucking forget it, right? Right. You play it like any modern game where you're trying to maximize your abilities at the lowest possible level. Forget it. You're not here for the right reasons. In our current game, I play a, I play a elf 
bard named Mackenzie with two E's. The last E is silent. And it is the most fun character I've ever played. I don't think I have attacked a single person. You did once. Okay. You have, I attacked a single person. We've been playing this person. campaign for a year now? Yeah, more than that. And Rachel's character has attacked one enemy. Yeah, you know the shark battle that we just talked about? The lead up to that? I dimensioned it away to another ship because I didn't want to be a part of it. And it is so much fun. It's so much fun. Right, and my we got <coughs> there wasn't room in a an inn one time. So my character, the druid, went out and found this big willow tree and kind of romanced the willow tree into <laughs> created a wedding venue. In, well, it was it was supposed to be just a shelter because it was raining heavily. I just wanted a dry like walled-in shelter made of all natural materials. But then I th- we like killed the group of assassins that had booked the hotel or something the inn like or that, something yeah. like that. So we had we ended up with rooms at the end of it. And so we pitched the not like new external sheltered area as a wedding venue. Yeah. <laughs> it was this, you know what? So this was a good movie. We talked about some of the actors. I don't want to talk about too many of the spoiler stuff because it's still in the theaters. Yeah. Um, but it was so, it was, it captured the essence of the fun of the storytelling that I love about Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And I think that's why we loved it so much. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of mixed reviews of it. People saying it didn't have a plot. People saying it never like delivered on all of the things it was promising to deliver on. And I feel like our standards are difficult to predict um, <laughs> because there are definitely that's- things... <laughs> Putting it lightly. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely things that I think we should like and we don't. And there are things I think we aren't going to like and we do. But I think what we love at the end of the day is a story told sincerely. A story told for the love of telling the story. Not for the point of making a story. The mainstream as, appeal. Yeah, as mass appeal, as giving it as big of an appeal as possible. And I think they knew who they were talking to. And I think they spoke directly to us because clearly they were talking to us. And I don't think they tried to talk to people that wouldn't necessarily understand what they were saying. They right. weren't trying to create a movie that absolutely everyone who walked in would find something that they loved. They created a movie for the people that enjoy that cooperative storytelling, that camaraderie, that friendship, that time of just sitting down and playing a ridiculous game that ultimately has no value, right? I mean, what you take away from Dungeons and Dragons helps you none. The fact that I still remember the 3.5 edition rules for grappling doesn't, is never going to help me ever anywhere i feel like i should put it on my resume because the 3.5 rules for grappling were so complex (laughs) and overwrought that certainly someone should appreciate the fact that i know them by heart but ultimately what did it get me friends it got me lifelong friends it got me the type of people that i can tell stories with that we can sit down and reminisce about that time they started a transport business instead of just 
going and fighting the big bad guy and I ended up having to sink an entire city to encourage everyone to continue the plot. That's fun. Like we're smiling about it right now because it was a fun moment shared with friends. It was sitting around. You don't remember what people said. You remember how they made you feel. Right. I mean, we used to sit around the fire and tell stories, right? We used to have these times in our lives when we would come together as a group and we would share stories or we would tell stories or we would create stories. And we don't have that tucked into our lives anymore. That's not an integral part of how we interact socially. And for some of us, that's the best way to interact socially. That's the place where we feel most comfortable. And D&D provides that forum. It provides a place for us to sit down, embody someone we are not, imagine life from that point of view, and create a story accordingly. And it's wonderful, and it's important. And I really feel like movies like this are important because is it the best movie I've ever seen in my life? No. Is it up there? It's pretty up there. It was really entertaining. I would sit down and put this on anytime. Right. And I would enjoy it. This is something that you don't need to keep up with the story as it goes along. And it has all these just independently entertaining moments. Yeah. And I would sit down and watch this over and over and over again because it was entertaining. It was Yeah, the rewatch value on this is really high. It really felt like people sharing a story that they loved with us, which is what we love. If we have a standard at all. It's we love sincerity. We don't like to feel like someone is selling us a movie. I like because you to we're just... sold things every second of every day now. Right. And we just want to sit down. I want you to tell me a story and then let me decide whether I love it or not. And if I don't, it's that's okay. We didn't love everything everywhere all at once. I just had a discussion about somebody with somebody about this on Instagram. And I was talking about How we really feel like whether or not we love a movie or a television show or a property has become almost this like factional thing. You identify as someone who loves this movie. And when other people don't, you feel like it is beholden onto you to convert them or shame them for their lack of love for this thing. And it really doesn't have to be that way. If you didn't love the Dungeons and Dragons movie, that's fine. You didn't see the appeal of it in the same way that I did. That's okay. It's fine. We can still be friends because at the end of the day, whether you love the Dungeons and Dragons movie or not, doesn't harm anyone. I'm not hurt by the fact you don't like it. You're not hurt by the fact that I like it. So finding a soapbox or feeling some type of violent way about this is ridiculous. Um, That's a roundabout way of getting back to what I was talking about on Instagram. But really what I was just saying is like, it's okay to feel your feelings about something. And I, I have seen a lot of mixed reviews about this movie, but I'm okay with that because it didn't want to be a universally appealing movie. It wanted to be a movie for D&D fans. And I feel like it achieved that. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like earlier iterations of D&D movies have tried to be more universally appealing. And what they ended up doing was sucking. Yeah, I agree with that too. 
And that pretty much sums up my feelings about, <laughs> about it. Uh, you know, it's like Mandy. We fucking loved Mandy. Mandy did not try to talk to everyone. It was going to talk to the people that were going to love it, and that was perfectly okay. Right. If you appeal to a small percentage of the population today, that's millions and millions and millions of people. Right. The, the ability to reach so many people has really changed how, I don't know, content creators. <laughs> if, yeah. If you want to expand the term content creator out to like Hollywood-esque stuff. Well, some of it is. Um, <clears throat> right. Anybody, you know, creating art, movies fall into that category. Yeah. Because of the reach of especially digital media, you don't have to make it so appealing to a really wide audience. You can target a really niche category of fans of whatever. Um, Say D&D, for example. Genre. Yeah. And... And bank, I guess you can get enough viewership off of that to make back your money. Yeah. I just think it's one of those things where we need to kind of rehab the income structure. We need to rethink how movies are making money. Because yeah. theaters are not what they were. Streaming is not what it is, what it was. It, it isn't what it could be. It isn't what it We are in an in-between place. We're we in a are, liminal space. We are in a liminal space media. because theaters are challenging after 2020. They really haven't recouped to the place that they were before. And even where they were before isn't where they, where they used to be. And we were still thinking of box office revenue as like the marker of success for a movie. Which right. Is, it's like how working remote has transformed the office work environment yeah and the the lowest hanging fruit metric for worker productivity is hours spent in your seat in the office i should also mention that we have now also finished a bottle of wine so if anybody's wondering why we're philosophical that would be why go ahead should i open this second bottle no no okay. we're good we'll talk about gilgamesh if we get any deeper you go <laughs> So the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest metric for worker productivity is, you know, hours spent where the manager can see you sitting in your seat. Yes. Typing away, whatever. Similarly, for movie performance, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest metric is box office revenue. Yes. And it's a very simple number. It's an easy number to uh, aggregate and and it looks nice when you put it up on a slideshow or you know slide deck um, PowerPoint whatever yeah you can say it made this much money it makes a weekend. pretty little line on a graph it makes a pretty line on a graph yeah but it is not an accurate representation of the market. No, and I've seen a lot of stuff that's like box office failure. You know, because we Google a lot of movie-related things. 
I get a lot of movie-related articles sent to me. Yes. And one of them, it, a lot of them, the vet, I'd say probably 35 to 50% of them is this box office failure now hitting it big on streaming. And it's about these movies that in the box office didn't play well. But now that they're out on streaming, they're doing fabulous. Because maybe people didn't want to pay to go see it in the theaters, but they're perfectly willing to sit and watch it if it's streaming on a service they're already paying for. Right. And it begs the question, was the movie bad? Was the marketing bad? Was the, was appeal, the distribution Was the distribution problematic? There are so many factors that go into whether or not a movie is successful at the box office that it's really difficult to say, oh, well, it only made this much money in theaters, so it's a failure. Well, okay. Take, for example, because we've completely deviated from Dungeons & Dragons, so why continue talking about it? Um, Dracula Untold. Yeah. Right? One of my favorite adaptations of Dracula, because it's Dracula as a fucking superhero. Brilliant. Everything about that movie is fun. Imagine for a moment that this movie had come out on streaming as an hour and a half long episode. And every episode after it was related to another universal villain. We had our Dracula movie episode. We had our Frankenstein episode. We had our mummy episode. What they were trying to do with Dracula Untold was create the dark universe. It was going to be a reboot of the classic monster flicks. And so they started with Dracula. It didn't do well. They just dumped the whole thing. Oh, they were planning to they do were planning other to do classic monsters. Yeah, they were going to do a oh. sequel to the Dracula movie. And then they were going to do all the, you know, they were going to do all of them. The Wolfman, the Mummy, everything. Frankenstein. And they ended up abandoning it because it wasn't making, it didn't make the kind of money they were hoping it would. But streaming is an entirely different animal. If we had released it as episodes, that would have been fucking amazing. You're like, oh my God, that Dracula episode? Great. So looking forward to the Frankenstein episode. Well, the Frankenstein episode didn't slap the way the Dracula one did. That's fine. I'm still so stoked about the Wolfman episode. Right. Wolfman and Swamp Thing and... Yes. Can you imagine Creature how much from the Black Lagoon? Black Lagoon. Yes. Yeah. I think that would have been... Uh, amazing and but because it came out in a time when box office revenue was the be all end all metric for success it wasn't considered successful but then when it came out on streaming it's the top 10 for a couple of weeks it probably could have been longer if we'd put literally any effort into marketing it mm -hmm. and it really calls into question the idea of what makes a successful movie and what doesn't what is the theater model? What does it mean? What kind of movies are generally successful in theater? Why are they successful in theater? Um, yeah, it's it really gets into kind of the idea of all the different ways that people enjoy movies. I would say that going to see the Dungeons and Dragons movie was one of the first movies I have genuinely enjoyed from start to finish in the theater in a long time. I watch a lot of movies on streaming, and they're just fine. But when I'm at home, it's an entirely different mindset. Yes. And so it really calls into question movie executives, movie directors, the people who greenlight movies, their understanding of 
what people want. What makes a successful movie successful? What makes an unsuccessful movie unsuccessful? Why are some movies more successful on streaming than in theater and vice versa? So we really just need a more in-depth discussion, a more in-depth study to kind of get an idea of why some things are, you know what I'm talking about? You get where I'm going with this? Yeah. yeah, That we just don't really, we don't understand the bones of what works where and what works in other places. And I think that's why Dungeons and Dragons gets all these mixed reviews. Because it's a great movie, but it's only speaking to a certain percentage of the people that go to see it. But a lot of people are analyzing it from the perspective of, but it didn't do that well in the box office opening weekend right i also think so it's not a good movie if people weren't hyped to see it on opening weekend right right Right. and i also think because everybody has a movie podcast i mean us aside obviously everyone gets to be a critic right we don't claim to be experts. I'm sorry. Have you listened to our podcast? We just talk about shit. I don't, I'm not an expert in anything. What I'm doing is telling you how I feel. I'm not talking about, okay, so I have an art degree. I feel like I've talked a lot, but I'm just going to keep rolling because that just feels like how tonight's going to go. I have an art degree. And I don't know if I've mentioned that or not. So you have a refined sense of taste. No, no. What I'm talking about is there is a language that artists use when talking about other artists. There is a dialogue, there is a set of vocabulary that you can pick out from a mile away when an art critic or another artist is talking about art. I had a print one time. Here's a perfect example. I had a print that got into a show and I was standing there listening to people talk about my print because there's nothing more hysterical than doing that. And this one lady walked up, walked up and she looked at it for, I don't know, forever. And then she looked over at this lady who was with her and she goes, I don't know. It's just too sensitive. The fuck does that mean? You know what it was? It was a piece of plastic that I smeared ink all over and then I tossed yarn on it and I ran it through the printer and made a monoprint and it ended up looking like a tornado. So I called it Dorothy in the storm. But apparently that was too sensitive No one knows what the fuck sensitive means. That lady didn't know what the fuck sensitive means. So there is a language that people use when they're talking about movies and television shows and other properties. That is this, what they perceive as elevated language, discussing, discussing, sorry, the wine is hitting, discussing the content, discussing the themes, discussing the story resolution, discussing the character development. And it ends up sounding like movie critics talking to other movie critics. Yes. In the same way that artists are talking to other artists. It's like these people who are experts in the genre talking about talking to other experts in the genre, which is perfectly fine. That's absolutely a conversation that can happen. Um, I think when you use that kind of language deliberately, it ends up being, even if it's inadvertently, a way of gatekeeping. Because you're keeping keeping out the people that can use that fluently. And what you end up doing is saying, this movie's not great and here's why. And you use this dialogue and people think, well, I need to agree with that because they used these five vocab, these five SAT words. And if I don't agree with them, that makes me seem dumb. Right. And 
<clears throat> in those kinds of situations, from my perspective, I guess here's my take on it. When you end up in a conversation, maybe debate-like conversation, where someone is explaining this stuff using big words, I probably end up on this side of the conversation sometimes. But I really try to dial back, dial it back. Like I almost used the word extemporaneously, <laughs> but I was like, "Hold on, no, <laughs> that, that is not an effective word for communicating that people can understand easily." Yeah, but you you can have one side of the conversation where people throw out big words, not because it's the most accurate word for the thought that they're having, but because it is a big word that they believe the other person doesn't have a like quick understanding of. Yeah, and that person, the other person, will not want to admit wait, what was that word you just said? What does it mean? You don't want to sound stupid in a conversation, so people will just say, not along. Okay, yeah. Okay. Sure. Big word? Uh, I'm not going to question that because now I'm going to look stupid in this conversation. And so you just go along with it. And that can happen with just regular people trying to listen to like an artist on artist conversation right. or a regular person uh, listening to a movie critic on movie critic conversation. It's like they're throwing around these terms that if they're using them, they must be like the technical language of how artists talk to artists. And there's a lot of nuanced meaning there. Or these are technical terms in how movie critics talk to other movie critics. But it's really just everybody bullshitting each other. Yeah. Into it's the bullshit feeling, spiral. Yeah, the bullshit spiral. It's the bullshit spiral. You, you just coined that term. Thank you. I and we're it. all stuck in the bullshit spiral. We loved love bites. We have zero cred left. I'm sorry. We are on record as saying we loved an Adam Ant vampire movie. We've got fuck all of, of a platform to stand on. I just like getting together and talking about movies we love. And I really hope we and feel even, accessible. Even for me, like at work, it's been actually valuable for me career-wise to be like, hold on, that word you just used, I, I'm not familiar with that yeah. term. Can you please explain it to me? I really hope we feel accessible. Yes. I hope we don't feel gatekeepy. And I really hope people call us out if we ever do, because I really just feel like movies are so story is fundamental to the human experience. Narrative is fundamental. Narrative. Phrasing learning, phrasing life experience, phrasing growth in a narrative format is fundamental to the human experience. Transferring knowledge through story, transferring wisdom through narrative is important. And it is something that everyone is capable of, that everyone should share in, and that no one should feel ashamed for enjoying 
whether or not other people enjoy it or not. And no one should feel ashamed for communicating that they don't quite get it. Because it's the point. That's the point. That's a signal to the person telling the story that they might not be doing that great of a job telling the story. Right. And so not communicating that is what's making movies shit. Right. Not telling people that their movies are shit is what makes movies shit. Right. The, the feedback the, isn't happening. The audience needs to say, what? And fuck the bandwagon. Fuck and then the, the storytellers have some signal to say, oh, if we have like a huge segment of our audience that doesn't get the story that we're telling. Yeah. Maybe we need to examine how we're telling maybe stories. we need to take a step back and figure out what's working it's like willow okay here's a good example willow willow i love 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 the movie willow the movie willow yes. movie willow fundamental right it is something that i grew up with it is a quintessential part of who i am as a person it's a cornerstone of the sword and sorcery movie genre brilliant brilliant movie fun Funny, entertaining, light where it needs to be light, heavy where it needs to be heavy. Great example of a movie that really just captures an audience, moves with the audience, changes when it needs to change. Beautiful. Admittedly, I have not watched the series yet, but I know it's canceled. We only made it through one season. And we try, We this to me felt like a fundamental misunderstanding of what made the movie great to start with. Where the producers, the people making the show, the showrunner, whatever, decided, okay, we need to modify this format, formula, story, world, to be more palatable right. to a wide mainstream audience. Yeah, and I feel like what we're doing... And they watered it down to the point that it it's didn't like, appeal to anyone. What, what's the what's the Bible verse about lukewarm water? Oh, you spit it from your Everyone, mouth. Everyone, you God spit despises it from your mouth. a lukewarm taste. Yeah, um, I feel like what happens is we take these properties and we flatten them so they fit in a presentation to some committee somewhere, and it really you can't experience the movie that way. So it's like Forever Night. We do a lot of episodes on Forever Night, and Kate was like, I haven't I haven't listened to a single episode on Forever Night because I haven't watched an episode of Forever Night. And, you know, why is Forever Night appealing? Why do we love it so much? Why do so many people love it so much? Because we are doing our episodic coverage of Forever Night. And I know other podcasts have done kind of hit and miss. We'll do a couple episodes from this season, a couple episodes from that season, a couple episodes, whatever. And it really, listening to some of them, it really felt like they lacked a fundamental understanding of the appeal of such a show, which granted, it's difficult to see because you you pick an episode here, you pick an episode there, and they feel dated. Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Even though nothing carries from episode to episode, there really is sort of a... Um, a zeitgeist, a... There's a momentum... There's a momentum, the but there's also a episode by episode character understanding. We're not talking about plot. We're talking about character understanding right. that grows with each vignette that we watch with the characters. 
And it doesn't follow the format of modern day shows in that it has an overarching narrative. But there are consistent characters. There are consistent character interactions. There's a organic sincerity, humanness to the plot that is the reason that I love it. They aren't trying to appeal to everyone, but they aren't trying to exclude anyone either. It's a very, we are creating an entertaining thing and we're just going to put it out there. And you love it or you don't love it, but we're going to create this thing that we love. We're going to create this entertaining thing and we're just going to put it out here for everyone. And there's this sincerity to it that I really miss in a lot of modern streamlined designed for maximum profit television shows and movies like Babylon 5. There is a simple sincerity to every episode, to every plot line, to every line of dialogue that is just, you know, the person who wrote it, the person who acted, the person who directed it, every person along the line loved it, at least loved a part of it and was just doing their best on the budget they had to share that love with you. And it makes you love it in return. Even if that episode was a miss, it wasn't great. It's it's one of those ones where you're like, meh, I don't really know what happened. It was kind of weird, whatever. But I know you were trying to give me something you loved. And so I love it too. It's like when a child brings you a picture and you're like, oh, great. What is it? <laughs> you don't know what it's of. But you know they loved it and they're giving it to you because they're trying to share something they loved with you. They were trying to make something beautiful to give to you. And there's that that simplicity of that that I miss. And I feel like there was a small piece of that in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. And maybe that's why we loved it so much. Because it really felt like all of the characters immersed themselves in the idea of what it feels like to do that cooperative storytelling around a table on a Saturday with your best friends, just doing random shit, rolling some dice for fun. Yeah, And then just going along with whatever ends up happening. Right. Just cooperative storytelling for the joy of telling a story together. So now that you've gotten a small taste of what it's like to listen to us get drunk and try to make a podcast please feel free to subscribe to the Patreon. There's a whole other Drunk Forever Night episode on there. Maybe we'll do some more more. drunk movie episodes too. Do you want to do more drunk watch-alongs or just more drunk I don't know. Talking. We'll just have to see. You know, we'll play it by ear. We'll just decide what we want to do in the moment. 100% of our Patreon listeners loved it. (laughs) You know what we do? We share the things we love with people. That's what we do. The things that we love, we share with you. The things that we don't love, we talk about them too, but we let you know. I feel like we try to be sincere. Let's put it that way. If anything, if anybody described me as anything in my life, if someone stood up at my funeral and had to give one word to tell me, to tell everybody about who Rachel was, if they said sincere, I'd be fucking stoked. I'd be stoked. So now you know that when we are drunk, we are philosophical as shit which is why we don't get drunk around other people very often because it usually ends up 
with us talking about stuff like this. But we are on Instagram as well. If you want to go join the Instagram and find out why we are just in some kind of wild whirlwind of what the fuck, please feel free. It's uh, at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We do still have a recommendation form. I haven't figured any of that out. Website's still broke. <laughs> Everything's broke. Um, you know what? I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's fine. I am on my own time. That's how I describe my life. And the website is also on my own time, which means it's not fixed yet. But it is still there. You can go visit it. It is strangeandbeautiful.club. And you can still email Matt and I at matt at strangeandbeautiful.club or rachel at strangeandbeautiful.club. And we also have a YouTube. I try to put a link to the YouTube in every show notes. So if you don't see it, feel free to send us an email at thehosts at strangeandbeautiful.club also. And I will get back to you. Um, I'm prioritizing the Forever Night episodes. So I think we're on episode 15 or 16. So they're getting put up as time goes on. We have 10 subscribers now. On YouTube. Yeah, we're in yeah. the double digits. Also, Ooh. if you're on Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. I don't ever ask for ratings. I don't ever ask for much, guys. Just go boop. Five stars. And that would be great. Because right now we have one, and I'm pretty sure it's me. <laughs> so please drop a five-star rating on Spotify. If you're one of our 29 Spotify rate, Spotify subscribers. subscribers, if each one of you put a five-star rating, that would help me immensely. So please go do that. And in the meantime... Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.